Welcome to the Highfalutin Podcast. The Highfalutin Podcast is a conversational exploration into the topics of the day framed around a theme chosen in advance by your hosts, Monica Schrager, Ryan Norsworthy, and me, Matt McCarthy. The theme of the third episode of the Highfalutin Podcast is Silver Linings. Hello, everyone. Thanks for joining us for the third episode of the Highfalutin Podcast. The theme we chose to explore for this episode is Silver Linings. Um, obviously, we're, we're in a time right now where silver linings are important. There's a lot of... Um, a lot of tough stuff going on right now and silver linings are what keep us moving forward um we want to focus on some of the positives right now um ryan i, I silver linings was, was sort of your brainchild as we talked about uh you know what the theme should be for this episode why don't you tell us a little bit about why silver linings is, is impactful for you and, and why you chose to to want to talk about that theme this week well for me thinking about uh the goings-on of today, it was hard for me not to uh, project everything through the lens of the pandemic. And I, in trying to remain positive, I don't know if that's like just a survival reaction or whatnot, I wanted to try to be positive about things. And um, while there's a lot of negativity around us, I see so much positive. And that is uh, why I chose Silver Linings as a topic for this week's theme. Beautiful. Monica, what does silver linings mean to you? There's a lot of sadness and uncertainty and fear and anger around the country and even the world as we all navigate this pandemic and the resulting impact on the economy and jobs. But amongst all those, there's this feeling for me, at least of kind of electrifying excitement. Um, Systematic racism and racial injustice have really been thrust to the forefront and no longer can be ignored and we're real and there's a lot of potential for change good change and good education coming out of that i do think about if you think about barack obama remember his hope poster you know um iconic you know and having yeah exactly and having to have hope i come back to that a lot and i've also actually during this you know everything that's going on with racial injustice i did have a couple conversations with a couple black friends and they were talking about being hopeful too. So I think there's a lot of hope going on. We're also really on the cusp of a hopefully a new presidential administration, which represents a little of the old. We have this old white man who's been in politics for a while, though new, you know, that old white man is empathetic and is acknowledging that times are changing and has chosen the first black woman also of Asian descent and Kamala Harris as his VP running mate. And I'm feeling confident too that you know, a lot of those women who are considered for the VP role may end up with positions in the administration, and we might really be at a positive turning point for change, but also for women in this country. And it's it's a real historic moment, and I think everyone can do really, can try to do something to contribute to it um, in some way, like donate money or time or support in your community, help a neighbor. You know, my, um, my block, my city, or my block, my hood, my city is a great organization started here in Chicago that actually is organize these neighborhood cleanup efforts after looting. They help expose underprivileged youth to the world and opportunities outside their neighborhood. And I actually signed up for a youth led tour of Englewood they're hosting next week. They also have great merchandise. I bought a great sweatshirt there saying my block, my hood, my city in French. Well, because nice. I like French, so. Oui, oui. That's terrific. The, uh, I think that it's, 
it's a real moment of conflict right now. And, you know, conflict is hard and conflict is, you know, can get you down, but there's also great change that can come from it. That's, that's exciting. It's progression. And uh, I think that's very important. I mean, what are you doing if you're not progressing? Well, and sometimes, sometimes you need that conflict in order to, to make the progression happen, right? Because people don't want to change. They get comfortable. They get, they get stuck in their ways. And you need something like this to unstick them and to, and to move us forward as a society. And um, that's exciting, even though, you know, without diminishing all, all, the, all the pain and, and all the tough stuff that people are going through right now. Correct. I think there's also a few, I I have this visual in my mind of like standing on the edge of this precipice and the gap, you know, is getting closer to like some real great change and you kind of want to jump and you're just waiting for the right moment to do so. And now, Highfalutin News. This month is the 100th anniversary of the 19th Amendment being adopted, which gave women the right to vote. Um, And this comes on the heel of the Equal Rights Amendment or the ERA getting really the number of states needed to ratify in January of this year with Virginia passing it. That said, there's a lot of controversy over it missing the deadline and some states that ratified tried to back out. But regardless, the 2010s and that fourth wave of feminism and the Me Too movement really helped revive interest in getting that adopted um, and reviving interest in it. So the ERA, for those who might not be aware, aims to really invalidate any state and federal laws that discriminate against women, essentially saying sex, as they say, but it probably should be gender today, shouldn't determine the legal rights of men and women. So you'd be really surprised if you see some of the sexist laws on the books. Um, for example, in Michigan, women cannot, married women cannot cut their hair without their husband's permission. Women in Cleveland can't show cleave, cleavage and married women in Florida cannot skydive on Sundays for some reason. Seems reasonable, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's crazy, wow, I can't believe that. Yeah. And so, you know, on, on top no of all that, in Cleveland too. There's, there's something, there, there are actual there. rules around covering it and how to cover it. It's really, if you're curious, look it up. Um, but, Kam- curious, yeah. <laughs> but Kamala Harris is our first, you know, woman of black and Indian descent, you know, to be a vice president, um, daughter of immigrants who came to the U S to study and her selection again, just builds on this womanly momentum we're having. And you can even see Trump trying to capitalize on it a bit with, um, pardoning Susan B. Anthony, who never wanted to be pardoned because she didn't think she did anything wrong by voting when it was not legal for women to do so. I also heard actually her foundation declined the pardon, which is great. Nice. Nice. And then- I, uh, you, Go ahead, yeah, I'm sorry. No, no, go ahead if you have a response. I just, I, I read a comment, I was reading some of the, some news about the Susan B. Anthony and the and the anniversary. And I read somebody had a real negative reaction to it, that it was, and this is not a silver lining moment, but it was, they said, well, Susan B. Anthony, she knew that, you know, black women weren't getting those rights and she was okay with it. And it, that made me pause. I'd never thought of it like that. Yeah, if you look into the history of it, you know, abolitionists and suffragettes were unified before the Civil War. After the Civil War though, they broke off, unfortunately, and and there was some debate over whose you know whose whose right was the one that should come to the forefront. And unfortunately, it's sad that they did that. And they realized, I think, the suffragettes realized they needed to get like the Southern white women, you know, behind their cause. And unfortunately, um, it's sad. But yeah, there there was that divide, and it's it's sad. But it's you try to think about what they were doing. You know, they've been fighting for so long, and had to make some choices. Yeah, that's difficult. 
The uh, Kamala Harris, the boy, that was exciting to see the convention this week. That was interesting. Uh, weirdest convention I've ever seen, you know, with everybody sitting there to talk into an empty hall. The, uh, it was very strange. Um, I feel like Kamala Harris is sort of like the silver lining in this ticket for me a little bit. Like the, and like, I, I don't mean to be down on Papa Joe and, you know, and the, like he's a fine candidate and he's got a lot of experience and God, am I going to go out and vote for him and support him because he's, you know, a million times better than the, the fascist alternative we have right now. Um, but I've never been real excited about him. He's another old white guy. He's um, he's not the most progressive candidate. Um, I, I would like to have seen maybe a more progressive candidate just from my viewpoint. Um, and Kamala is not like super, I don't think she's much more progressive than Biden is necessarily in some of her views, but it's so refreshing to see somebody new get a shot at this and, uh, you know, see, um, these underrepresented groups be represented on this, on this ticket and, you know, at this, on this platform, it's that to me is, is, is reason to, to be excited. Yeah. You know, though, she does have some progressive views on the environment, which I'm also excited about because it got a call out a couple times in that roll call, which was awesome. You yeah. know, in most states to do that roll call more often, but that you know, the Alaska part of the convention to me, that roll call. <laughs> yeah, I know. That was but, fun. But yeah, Alaska and some of the other states called out climate change, and she actually is a proponent of, you know, tackling climate change. She went after ExxonMobil when she was, um, you know, Attorney General, I think, of California, and around them not following the regulations that they should. She's also a big fan, it sounds like, of the Green New Deal, too. So I think we, we are getting, the, the environment's getting a bit of a moment, and I think her in office will definitely help with um, some of the retractions that Trump has done around the environment and acknowledgement of climate change because climate change too, what I don't think people always realize is it leads to global inequalities. You know, if people, you know, if there's natural disasters impact the poor communities the most. And um, so we need to tackle that. I, what I really took from the uh, convention in quotes is that people taking uh, our current president's task and just really speaking of his uh, inadequacies, his, um, you know, it is what it is. Uh, his- well, We saw Mich Michelle Obama do that and she referenced that, that it is what but, it is. You know, but I think Barack even went a step further. Yeah. Um, you know, just not up for the task, just not, you know, uh, and, and, you know, one of the ones that stood out to me was uh, Bloomberg. Uh, would you hire this guy with his track record to do rehire this guy? It just doesn't even make any sense. His failures, um, his divisiveness, his. Um, you don't think some of that was preaching to the choir that at the Democratic National Convention? Of course right? it is. Yeah. I mean, that's what a convention is, right? right but right. I think some of the silver lining um, for me in a, in a way you would not normally think is uh, accountability. There's, there's a big dark cloud of things that aren't going right. But the silver lining is being able to pull back the curtain and see that what's going on. Um, and because that's the first step in doing something about it. Donald Trump said he doesn't take any responsibility at all. Yeah. So okay. I, I, as terrible as that is, that's a dark, dark cloud. The silver lining is 
we got that on tape. And that's kind of the case with uh, all these revolutions is that you can't deny it anymore. And that's the silver lining of uh, some of some of the, that's a silver lining of. I feel like for you, it's like the truth is a silver lining. Like it's, it's peeking, it's peeking out behind the the cloud of this, you know, deception and this, and this BS that we've been wading through for the last four years. Um, But the truth is, the truth is going to peek out here. Another another silver lining is you're seeing a lot of Republicans, (laughs) you know, talk about their support for Biden. You had a few. Yeah. Lincoln Project. I was just going to mention that. Yeah, they're that's great. And you had a couple of them speak at the convention, too, even. And so that prominence, you know, is that's historic. Yeah, exactly. Well, it's. I hope it's the start of something new, you know, because there's been so much divisiveness and so, so little, you know, reaching across the aisle for the last several years. Um, maybe people remember that that's how you get things done, you know, and you, 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 you don't do it by opposing each other all the time. You do it sometimes by, by joining forces and moving it forward together. Donald Trump loves to be number one. He's number one at being the worst. <laughs> And I almost feel like we had to hit an extreme in a way, you know, there'd been like the tea party and this tension and, you know, lack of collaboration. And now it's like, Oh, we're, we've hit an extreme and people are realizing, you know, when he said, you know, when he says, I'm, you know, you're the reason your husband's the reason, like speaking to, in his retort to Michelle Obama, mm-hmm. he was like, your husband's the reason I'm here. Right. That's racism. It is, but there, I also think that like every action has an equal and opposite reaction, right? I mean, and we, we've seen that again and again. And uh, but a huge part of that reaction was racism. Agreed, agreed. But uh, like you see the pendulum swing back and forth throughout American history, right? Like it goes, you know, you, you have somebody who's real conservative in the country, like they, they kind of, they, they hit a, a threshold for that where they can't take anymore and they vote somebody in who's more liberal, right? Like we had eight years of Bush and then Barack Obama came around and we, we, we elected Barack Obama. And um, to me, I mean, Obama, he ran a, a much more, he, he ran much more as a, as a leftist and a liberal than he actually turned out to be. I think he was a real like, consensus builder in a lot of ways and, and, and Correct. more but, moderate uh, than I would have liked to have seen. I, I, I think we can all agree on that. However, look at what he took office with. Oh, he, 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 I mean, he inherited a, a, a burning crisis that was nothing short of what we see now and two wars. Also, I think, didn't he have a Republican-led Congress and even Senate at times he was dealing with? No, uh, it was going his way until his first midterm. Mm-hmm. The midterm election is- Well, he, used, he, he spent all that political capital on health care yeah. and then, you know, got it handed to him in the midterms. Correct, which is still around today. Yeah, but the, I mean, that's another example of the pendulum swinging. And the, for a lot of Americans, I think, electing a black man named Barack Obama president was like, whoa, what's happened here, you know? And that's not how we felt about it, obviously. And we supported Barack Obama and were excited to. But I think there were a lot of them. And, you know, we talked about this a little bit before that, like, there's this fear that some Americans have that something's being taken away from them. And they, that group of Americans 
lashed out. And that's, and that's why we have Trump, I think, to a large extent. And Trump helped cultivate that, right? I mean, he played off of that dynamic. And um, now I think we'll see the pendulum swing back the other way. And, you know, the, the, there's been enough of this crazy um, fascist, you know, right-wing nationalist stuff, I hope. And, the, you know, America's going to swing the pendulum back the other way and we'll have some years of progress here. Let's remember, too, his middle name, Hussein, which I think a lot yeah, of people right, right. also reacted to. But coming back to what Ryan said, exactly, it's racism. And coming back to what I said, I think, last episode, too, it's that education and that lack of exposure to different cultures and, you know. Diversity. Diversity, yeah, exactly. That's the silver lining is, once again, is acknowledging of all these things coming to the surface. Um, these, all, all these problems have persisted in our country uh, since its inception. And um, the silver lining of a pandemic, apparently, to me, is this acknowledgement and people being held to account for change. Yeah, and if you look historically, a great change has always happened in these times of crisis, you know? And we're, yes. we're in this time of crisis, and that's why, coming back to that electrifyingly, ex electrifying excitement a little bit, there's this big potential for change. And now, highfalutin arts. Well, one of the big uh, silver linings for me during this whole time of COVID and, and everything else has been, um, I've had more time to read and to appreciate some of the arts. And um, one of the, the books I've been reading lately is a book by a man named Victor Frankl. And it's a, it's a famous book. Um, it's called Man's Search for Meaning. And um, it seemed real appropriate. I think it's popular. It's kind of having a bit of a moment right now because it speaks to, to some of the things we're going through as, as a people right now. But um, Viktor Frankl was, a, was an MD and a PhD uh, study. He was Austrian, studied at the University of Vienna, um, published a ton of books, like 30 books, you know, died in, in the late 90s and 97. Um, I had a colleague at work recommend this book to me and my mother recommend this book to me like in the same week, like in totally different conversations. So I felt like, well, I have to go check it out. Um, so Frankel was a, was a Holocaust survivor. He was in Auschwitz and um, he, so, so, so the first half of the book talks about his experience in the concentration camps. And when, you know, it's, unbelievable and it's you know it's so it's hard to read um and we've all seen those kind of accounts before um but then the second half of the of the book explores this this logotherapy theory that he has this theory that um that people find meaning that that the main drive of a person's life is to find is find meaning in their life and um you know we freud right is famous from, uh, also Austrian uh, psychotherapist. And uh, he said that the main drive of a person's life is to find pleasure. And um, Frankel says, that's not right. It's actually to find meaning. And, and Frankel says, we find meaning in three different things in our life, basically. In, in our work, if we think we're doing something important, we can, we can find meaning that way. Um, in love, we can, if we're caring for another person, we can, we can find meaning in our life that way. And actually also through suffering and it's, it's, it's courage during difficult times. And the, obviously nobody who died in Auschwitz, it's not their fault. You know, nobody, they, um, 
but he he makes a point that the people who survived were were people who were able to latch on to some meaning in their life and to make the experience um have a meaning if you're if you're just there and you don't have anything to live for anymore and you're going through this terrible experience it's easy to lose hope and it's easy to to say my life has no meaning and what am i living for now but but frankel says the one thing you can control you can't control you know there are always going to be people who who come and take things from you there are always going to be people who are, are inflicting you know bad things upon you but you have the choice to you know the one thing they can't take is is how you choose to react to that situation and um I don't know that resonated with me because I feel like there's, you know, there's different ways we're reacting to the, to the pandemic right now. Right. And, uh, um, you know, it's okay to get down sometimes and to be frustrated by it, but like Ryan, you, you started talking about the silver lining at the top and like, what are the things that, that we can find hope from every day? And what are the things that are going to drive us forward through this to want to get to the other side? I don't know. To me, it's, it was a real neat, um, it's a real neat read right now and it's helping me kind of get through it. There's an interesting Nietzsche quote that, that he talks about in the book, which is interesting because there was like, you know, at the same time that, that he's going through this Holocaust situation, there are other more sinister forces at work who are also quoting Nietzsche, you know? Um, but the Nietzsche quote that, that he talks about is he who has a why to live for can bear with almost any how. So if, if you have something you're looking forward to, if you have something, you're, you're some, some light at the end of that tunnel, you, you can walk through that tunnel, you know, almost no matter what the circumstances is, are, as long as you, you know that there's this, this thing you're striving for that's going to be at the other end of it. And that just, I don't know, helped put, put things in perspective for me. You know, hearing this other person's experience, you realize that people have gone through worse and they've come out the other side. So, you know, it's just another way to, to give you hope. Wow. That sounds like recommended reading that. I mean, that is right on the, right on the money. Fantastic. Yeah. I'm really enjoying it. It's an inspiring book and it's been, you know, it's a popular book. I think it sold something like 18 million copies or something. And I think when people when was are it going, published? um, Geez, I don't know off the top of my head. The um, I'll find out. But um, he, uh, it was uh, published in the fifties, in the late fifties. Fifty nine was the first copyright. The um, and he actually he talks about in the beginning of the book, like he had an opportunity, he had a visa where he could have gotten out of Austria before you know they started rounding everybody. I mean, before he got rounded up, and um, he didn't want to leave his parents. He felt like, you know, honor, you know, honor thy father was, was too important. He didn't want to abandon his parents to that situation and leave. And um, so then he's, he's brought into the, you know, he's rounded up, he's brought into the camp. He's got the manuscript of his, of his work with him as he's brought into the camp. Cause he was working on this logotherapy theory, you know, before he was even in the, in the concentration camps. Um, and it, just the way they take the, you know, the, these people try to take his hope away and the way he's able to hang on to it is, is, I found very inspiring. You know, I equate this a little bit to what's happening today with the black population and the black community. You know, if you think about all the racial and social injustice and Ryan, you could speak to this as well from your perspective, but you know, learning more about the talk that, you know, black mothers give to their black sons and, you know, these children that are born innocent and have to kind of learn that they need to watch themselves, you know, and the, and the fear of running, you know, in neighborhoods and things like that. Um, 
I, and like I mentioned earlier, you know, I talked to a couple of my black colleagues about how they were doing in this time. And they're like, you got to have hope. Um, you got to just persevere and kind of keep working towards that perspective. And Yeah. Um, obviously the, uh, the racial reckoning, as I like to say, uh, going on is a, a huge silver lining in today's times. But, you know, it's funny because my reaction has kind of been somewhat just like, okay, thanks. Like, finally, um, we'll see. That, I mean, as a, as a black person, that's, I mean, that's kind of, I've heard a lot of this talk before. I was raised on this talk. So it was like when Barack got, I went down, I live in, we live in Chicago. I went down to uh, Grant Park when Barack Obama was. Uh, the night he uh, won the when, election. When he won the election. Uh, yeah. Is that the word? It's, yeah. Uh, when he was victorious in the uh, 2008 election. And <clears throat> I, I remember uh, vividly people kind of like, yeah, everything's going to change. You know, this is everything's going to change. And I remember seeing his face on a jumbotron because I couldn't get any closer. Like he had just got his first like security briefing. It was just like, Oh my God. Yeah. Right. <laughs> like, you know, this, you know, this is, we've got some work to do, but you know, this, uh, although there's a lot of things that we hope to achieve and did, um, you know, it, it was scary times. And the funny thing is, is now, it's not funny at all. It's scarier times now. And right. we have somebody ill-equipped uh, to take. Uh, and it's because of that inaccountability that I think we have this unrest that's like brought it to the surface. It's just like, come on. Like Donald Trump, I mean, listen to him. That's, I mean, it's all you have to do is is that, I mean, it's no way to run a country. I remember after Obama was elected, that, you know, there were articles and talk about we're living in post-racial America now. Ah, yeah. You know, like, and that, boy, that didn't bear out. That's, I mean, that's malarkey. Yeah. <laughs> to quote yeah. Uh, there you uh, go. our candidate. <laughs> yeah. Well, nice but, one. Nice one. Yeah. I mean, you know, that's, that's, um, some, uh, that's a silver lining of, uh, I, I go back to it again. It's, accountability in the times we live in today the reason why this is bubbling to the surface is because um you can't people have are being held accountable because there's cameras everywhere and you can't you can no longer kill somebody by leaning on their neck and get away with it racism just the fact that that conversation is being had is a silver lining as far as i'm concerned but then, yeah, agreed. But then again, I'm biased. No, I agree. I think it, that's what I said. It's been forced to the forefront, the conversation. Yes. And it's been forced to have action finally taken. Hopefully actionable change. Let's, let's bring it back to the arts for a minute. The, yeah. uh, what have you guys been doing? Are there any uh, like books you've been reading or music you've been listening to or movies you've been seeing that have been a silver lining for you during this, during this time? Yeah, so coming back to women and having a moment right now. I watched Mrs. America on Hulu 
And I think I mentioned this in an earlier podcast, but it exposed me to the battle over the ERA in the 70s, those for it and against it, um, and introduced me a little bit more to the players and particularly some of those really strong women of that feminist second wave of feminism, um, like Shirley Chisholm and, you know, Bella Abzug and Betty Friedan. You know, I'd heard of Gloria Steinem. She's sort of been the face, but I didn't know too much. So it's kind of cool to learn more about those players. Um, and also just so and get more educated there. And so for those, you might have heard me mention the fourth wave and the second wave of feminism. And if you don't know what all the waves are, um, just to point them out, the first one was the suffragettes fighting to get the right to vote. And the second one was the 70s, you know, um, and the third one was actually a riot girl movement of the early 90s. Um, and then the fourth wave is the Me Too movement of the 2010s. So they've built on each other. And I think we're starting to see the results of it. We also, one thing we also heard, and I know I'm touching on news a little bit, but black women, you know, they're, they're getting more prominence as a voting populace who can really enact change. You heard like North Carolina in the roll call um, reference it as well, which was really cool. But so in addition to that, like some of the concerts, like Lollapalooza this year didn't happen, but they uh, showed some of their concerts for free online. And I watched like the Outcast reunion from 2016, which was great. And, you know, an Arcade Fire live there. And then listening to some podcasts too. Like there's a great one I like. You must remember this about the uh, secret and or forgotten history of Hollywood, which is pretty cool. Nice. I'll have to check it out. How about you, Ryan? Anything you've been reading or listening to or watching that's been a silver lining for you during tough times here? You know, uh, almost the opposite, uh, frankly. Um, as a professional DJ, uh, I listen to music all the time, and it's still a constant in my life, but I've been kind of going back, uh, listening to uh, old vinyl and listening to things that uh, in new ways uh, that I hadn't listened to before. Also, I've been enjoying the time outside. Um, it, uh, when this first hit, I'm an avid cyclist, so I like to ride my bike a lot. And um, I have a dog. And uh, so the weather's been great. And I, I've been taking this as an opportunity to switch it up a little bit and, you know, spend more time outside and not consume as much media. So I, uh, I am sorry. I don't have as much to contribute in this. Segment. <laughs> no, that's, that's all right. I've actually, I've actually got another thing too. I've realized during this time that I can't read really serious books. I need funny. I need the laughter. I need to see movies, read books that are kind of funny. So, so I watched, Frankel may not be for you. <laughs> I know. So I watched big business the other day with Beth Midler and Lily Tomlin, which was hilarious, you know, and we're watching the blues brothers actually right now. Nice. So I'm kind of trying to, I welcome suggestions of funny books and movies. So comment on our Facebook page, perhaps with, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't help but to take in, uh, do the right thing, uh, because it, yeah, it I saw that it. recently too. I hadn't seen it in years. God, was that like resonating? It was, yeah. It's, I mean, it's almost uh, prolific, um, and it's uh, depiction of police brutality. Uh, also, uh, Boys in the Hood, um, another just you know, uh, violent end, and what could be. Um, and what these times produce. I had a different reaction than I did when I saw it when I was, when it came out and uh, that I cried. I mean, it wasn't that it wasn't said the first time, but this time it was just like, 
wow, that's just a beautiful, wonderful life. Just that didn't have an opportunity to mature just because of circumstances. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's, um, that was the you first know, time I, Singleton's such a good director. That's the first movie I remember him coming out with. Yeah, rest in peace. Yeah. yeah um, mm -hmm. He was a young man. That's right. Uh, yeah, another, you know. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, lost too soon uh, because of circumstances that you can't not say do not exist in our community. And that's just bad. Yeah. Yeah. So. I I uh, I've been I went back in the vinyl a little bit too. The uh, like I think I feel like it was right before the pandemic hit. It was like winter in Chicago, which is a dark time of year and um, cold and, and all that good stuff. And uh, my wife and I, you know, we're always like trying to figure out well, what do we watch in the evening, you know, if we're gonna. And there's a she um, and I have different tastes, so there's oftentimes we 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 end up settling on something that is kind of strange that neither one of us is really advocating for, but like, well, it's a compromise. Um, but we ended up, uh, I'd, I'd seen it before, but we ended up rewatching the whole Ken Burns jazz documentary, which oh. was, yeah. <laughs> and uh, it, but, but it propelled me into like listening to a bunch of jazz that I hadn't really like, yeah. it's just kind of barely aware of. And, um, and that's been really fun. And I've been kind of supporting some of the local record stores, but you know, you can like place the order and go and pick it up curbside. And like jazz records, you can find, you know, not very expensive. Um, right. So I've been picking up a bunch of Count Basie and a bunch of Frank Sinatra and a bunch of, you know, all kinds of different Miles Davis and uh, just really kind of digging into some old jazz. And it's been real pleasant in the evenings, just kind of as I, you know, make dinner, listening to some jazz and um, got kind of a calming effect that I appreciate. So, yeah, I, uh, I didn't mean to cut you off or uh, giggle over what you're saying, but uh, for the listeners, Matt and I were roommates when that series came out. That's right. Ken Burns miniseries. So, uh, and we observed it together. So we did. It's we did. I remember sitting in the living room watching it. Through. Yeah. yeah. And so, yeah, we start, We both started building record collections, uh, you know, around that time. So that's kind of funny. Um, uh, it makes me laugh. It's yeah, good. definitely. Good times. You know, speaking Silver of Ken Lyons. Burns, yeah. <laughs> You know, speaking of uh, Ken Burns, his country um, documentary, we saw a little of that. And one yeah. thing that kept coming up, every musician, they were like, oh, he hung out with these black musicians on street corners or black musicians in the neighborhood. And so basically it just sounded like a lot of that original country music had its roots in like black music as well. Yeah, yeah agree. Well, something I love about uh, Ken Burns, I saw him speak on, uh, you know, now defamed uh, Charlie Rose and it was it, it's something that stuck with me and uh at the time he had uh produced or and directed um a, a, a mini series on baseball the civil war and jazz and charlie roar uh charlie um rose uh you know obviously those, those are all observe that those are obviously all American, uniquely American stories. Um, that's how you tell the story of America. Those are uniquely American themes. And he said, what is the one thing, what's the theme that runs through all those stories? Baseball, jazz, and the Civil War. And he said, race. And so you can't tell the story of this country without speaking about race. However, 
we've been able to do that, or that's been done for about 200 years. Um, that just like, you know, we're not going to talk about it, the original sin of this country, so on and so forth. And that's a chapter in our history books. We all grew up with the same history books. Um, and the contributions of black people have not fully been acknowledged. Um, and uh, well, I remember when we were kids, you know, states' rights, right? I mean, it was what they right. talk about the Civil War. Right. And, you know, and yeah, I remember distinctly being told several times that it wasn't about race. It wasn't about, it wasn't about freeing slaves. It wasn't about when it, like, it absolutely was. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, I mean, it's crazy talk. Yeah. States' um, rights to keep slaves, you know, I mean. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The Electoral College is, is you know, based upon, uh, you know, the South feeling like they should get more votes because they had more population. But it was a population of slaves. <laughs> um that's what the electoral college is based on. So, well, I mean, the second amendment is based on a lot of it is based on like arming people because of slave revolts, you know? And I mean, like being able to protect, there was a lot of paranoia about, you know, the slave population rising up and you better make sure that, you know, you have a lot of guns to help keep them down. Right. So, yeah. So that's, you know, uh, it always goes back to, uh, that's a, that's silver lining uh, that that's, this stuff is coming coming to uh, to bear. Yeah, one more art silver lining that I wanted to talk about real quick. The um, we uh, a lot of people have been like doing book groups and stuff like that, and like I think that's super fun. My wife and I actually read the Dune books together, which were you know the, the Frank Herbert the sci-fi series, and I'd read them when I was a kid in junior high years ago and enjoyed them, and my wife never had, um, and I was looking for an opportunity to revisit them. Um, but it was super fun to like read through that series and, and, you know, be able to like talk about it together. Um, she kind of petered out on it a little bit, you know, there's like, there's like six books and then there's his son wrote a bunch of books and I got, you know, I was, I, I was in for a penny and for a pound. So I ordered those books too and read those and, um, it was great escapism. And also there's the Dune, um, movies coming out in, um, around, uh, Christmas time, I think, um, the, uh, directed by the same guy who directed the Blade Runner remake and, um, Timothy Chalamet is going to play the the big uh, character. I can see, Ryan, this is not resonating with you. Um, but this is my uh, my nerd silver lining here. Is uh, It was fun to uh, reread the Dune books. And then I, I have the uh, something to look forward to on the horizon is the uh, the Dune film that's coming out in, uh, in the uh, fall winter here. Good for you. You guys never read Dune? <laughs> I am not. I've heard of it. But I have no idea what it's about. And yeah. is it futuristic sci-fi, maybe? Yes. yes. Okay. That's, so see, I knew a little, but that's really the extent. <laughs> it's like I'm, one glad, those... I'm glad you are getting such enjoyment from them. It was fun. I'm done with them now. I'm, I'm long since passed. I've moved on. But it was fun to, to revisit <laughs> that. and to. It's like comforting to read something that you read as a kid and had a good experience with. It's like comforting to revisit it. Um, and those are fun books. And they're just fun to, to reread. Actually, you know, building on that, it's funny you mentioned that because I've been wanting to read this book again that's, um, that I really enjoyed when I was a kid. It's called A Woman of Independent Means by um, Elizabeth Forsythe Haley. And it's oh. sort of has some great reviews too on Amazon if you check it out, all about being very, all about this female, sort of an early women's lib person. Obviously, she always had means, so it, it isn't really relatable um, to people who don't have means, but at the same time, like her story and what she fights for throughout. Um, 
has always resonated really well with me and I'm excited to read that again, especially as women are having this moment. And now, High Pollutant Sports. I spoke last week about uh, some of the players in the Pac-12, which is the Pacific Atlantic Conference uh, of the NCAA, formed together and made a list of demands um, in these uh, coronavirus pandemic times and um, seemed to have had some effect um, in that the Pac-12, as well as the Big Ten, uh, considered uh, two of the big five had decided to cancel their football seasons um, and all fall sports altogether. And uh, I think that's positive. Um, and um, I think the silver lining to that is that they had that kind of effect. That's awesome. The, uh, I, I wonder how much of it was really due to the, you know, the players organizing. Yeah, you know, I, I thought like about liability, that. you know. Right, I thought about that as I, as I said it, but, you know, I don't think it's coincidental. No, I mean, I, th- I think that those players were feeling a lot of fear and anxiety around, you know. The As pop- everyone has. Right. right, correct. Yeah, And they, and they I, stood up and said, you're, you're not going to put me in this position for a bunch of money, you know. Well, a lot of these schools were having just online classes, but yet they're going to have football players play a game. Right. Doesn't, you know, doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Yeah, no kidding. It's funny because I'm going back to like Colin Kaepernick, you know, kneeling, like how many years ago was that, you know? Um, yep. And granted, he's he's pro in NFL, but it's still, it's it's that start of like players having more of a say, you know, and students, it even goes down now to, you know, the, um, the college level, you know, for too long, you know, the owners and, and the, uh, you know, schools have it kind of exploited, you know, students. Yeah. Like you said, last time they've gotten an education, but. You know what I, you know what it makes me think of it, it, when you said that is that the power always lies with the people. It's just a matter of when they seize it. Yeah. I mean, they can't do, you know, the NCAA big business, uh, Donald Trump, they can't get away with this without there's like people supporting it. Mm-hmm. Um, without people falling for it, uh, the way I like to think about it. Um, we all have to play our parts. We have to all have to do our jobs. But when we band together, uh, you can always affect change because there's more of us than them. That's just the way it is. Yeah, and we're starting to see that, which is kind of exciting. And that's I mean, especially world. when you are the product. Uh, you know, it's like in sports, that's, I mean, it's so simple. I mean, they, it doesn't exist without the players. Um, so anytime they band together, they're going to be more powerful than the powers that be. It's just a matter of, you know, uniting. Yep, exactly. Organizing, right? I mean, it's organized labor. It's organized. Yeah. 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 There's more power together than there is individually. So another uh, story I would like to speak about, um, that's recently in the media is there's been, because of some legalities, a long, uh, a recorded tape of a uh, racial incident uh, in sports uh, has come about. I'm going to butcher the guy's name, but he, it's uh, Maisei uh, Ujiri. Uh, he happens to be the president of the uh, world champion Toronto Raptors. And at the end of the game, their victorious series winning game, he went down to join his players on the court and was uh, 
as he's pulling out his press pass, he is shoved by a police officer. Something to the effect of, hold it there, where do you think you're going? He's in a fine tailored suit. Not that that should matter. Uh, and he's pulling on his credentials. He's already cleared by a guy visually in the, in the film. And he's shoved again. And the, uh, finally he shoves the police officer back and you know, sorted out who he is. That police officer maintained until the tape came out <laughs> that Ujiri, Ujiri uh, punched him and instigated the entire incident. Knowing that he's wearing a body cam. So think about this. He's a police officer working this event. He stops this guy, shoves him, shoves him. Doesn't, doesn't ask who he is, doesn't, you know, he assaults him before anything else and had enough just gall and authority to think that he could get away with just lying about the whole thing. You know, as a black guy approaching me, obviously he's threatening, I'm gonna take care of this right now. And I'm a police officer, you're a black guy. It's the way it is. Wow. Well, the, uh, you see that strategy ha has been effective for a long time. I mean, it's that, like, yes. you know, it's that blue line. It's the don't, you know, we're, we're going to stick on this together, you know, just stick to your story and, and we'll get your back. The, um, you know, and the, like the way the, you know, our president lies, I, it's, you know, politicians have always lied, but his, his, bullshit is unprecedented and then it, it is you know the, the, he will just lie all day long to everybody's face and contradict himself and it doesn't seem to impact him it, it there's a difference between telling lies and being a liar yeah you know i mean there's i mean we all tell lies i mean we're human we're uh, false but there's, you know, when you systematically lie and, and use those lies to manipulate people, that's, you know, that takes on a whole nother thing and to have that as a representation. And I bring these stories up um, not to harp on, on race or whatnot, but it's it, uh, what I, that silver lining of these times to me is, is that you can no longer hide and that this is accountable and, and people aren't gonna tolerate it. And it's, it's got our attention and it's not going to go away. So, uh, and it's funny because this tape is just coming out because this guy lied about it. Like he could have, like he could have told a lesser lie and it just gone away. Or he could have apologized. I didn't know who you were. As if that's not, if, as if that's good enough, but you know, Sorry, I just thought you were a regular, you know, riffraff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're, you know, two thousand dollars suit, you know, mm -hmm. pulling out credentials. Yeah, right. Who the hell are you? Mm -hmm. Coming back to sports a little bit, though, I am excited about Jason Wright as the new president of the Washington football that. team. Yeah. So he's a black former player who got his MBA and was a partner at McKinsey Consulting, which is the a first, huge deal. Yeah. The so first he's. Black 
Yeah. So he's, yes, the first black president, but he's also the youngest at 38. And he says like he's going to listen more than he talks as he gets settled into the organization. And I like his attitude and that's change that is great to start seeing. It's the best thing the Washington football team could have done. Exactly. They couldn't, you know, somewhere you have to reverse that valley. <laughs> yeah. Well, hopefully it's the start of, you know, something more. That you'll see many more, I hope. the Because uh, it's, yeah. Long overdue. Long overdue, 100%. The, uh, yeah, the football in general, you know, I was, I'm still skeptical that it's going to come off. Like, I I'm, I'm, I'm don't. I'm still not convinced that it's a good idea. You know, like I think that the, there's going to be outbreaks and, you know, you're, you're going to see people get sick from this, but I have to admit that it's been very comforting to have football back in some form. Like I'm a, you know, you know, I'm a bears nut, uh, Chicago, you know, I'm a homeboy and I, uh, I like my home teams and uh, I've always been a bears fan and every, day of the year you know I, I google chicago bears and i read whatever yeah. the news is and the uh you know when there's no training camp there's nothing going on the news is, is few and far between it's like oh you know what throwback jerseys are they going to wear this year you know but it's great to see like practices going on and like you know they, they have a quarterback controversy with you know who's gonna who's gonna start is it gonna be trubisky or Foles, um and it's just been fun to to read the sports again and have it you know have it be about something other than fluffy articles. And um, if they actually get, are able to, to come off with a season and play some games, I'm going to watch them and I'm going to enjoy the hell out of them. Uh, I will also be watching. Um, however, I hate to break it to you. I don't think there's going to be a complete football season. I don't think it's, I don't think it is safe. I don't think it is possible. And I think that everybody, anybody that doesn't understand that is kind of fooling themselves. It's just, I don't, I don't see it. I don't see it at all. I don't, uh, we'll see what happens with baseball. I think that's the best. Uh, I'm surprised how far along they've gotten in the baseball. Yeah, yeah. You know, but they've had, I mean, what are they going to? Yeah. It's easier to make up baseball games, you know, like when, like, when, like, the car- correct sick and they miss a series like that you can make that up like but how correct. do you make up a football game like, correct and there's also players that are are a little i'm sorry a little bit more you know there's more socializing too in football well, you know, like, it, it, yeah i mean it's just there's a lot of uh the personnel that has to fly jerry jones is talking about having people in the stands i mean it just doesn't doesn't it doesn't really Bode well, I, I don't believe it is. And, and please, I, I, you know, our listening audience is just getting to know us, but I am the I, one of the biggest football fans. Um, I watch football news daily, uh, as you do, Matt, like, or year-round. Um, I absolutely love football. However, I don't think it – I think the Pac-12 and the Pac-10 uh, did – uh, oh, the, excuse me, the Pac-12 and the Big Ten did the right thing in canceling their season. I don't think it's any secret why this, the player, the teams or the conferences that are continuing to play are playing. Um, and I think they're fooling themselves. And I think that they're not taking the uh, virus seriously enough. Well, there's, there's so much money on the table, right? Right. But that's what got us in this 
predicament in the first place. We would have football if we had done what they suggested from the beginning. <laughs> but yeah, we did. Point. We, yeah. wanted, we, wanted, we wanted to get back at it. We wanted, yeah. to, go, we wanted to have a life, blah, blah, mm -hmm. blah, blah, blah. It's funny. You don't have your life without health. Yeah. So, uh, you know, people Good not point. understanding that, it's just... Uh, no, that's a great point. I, I'm definitely conflicted by it. Like I said, the uh, I don't think it's wise. I, I, I'm skeptical that it's going to come off in any sort of meaningful way. Um, however, you know, I'm just grateful for some some Bears news that isn't about you know like, hey, this you know the equipment guy is from uh, you know some some strange place, and we're going to write a two thousand word article about it. <laughs> no, I, I it's funny. Somebody asked me about fantasy football the other day, and I just. I was like, it's, I don't understand. Like, you don't know who's going to be playing week to week. No, I don't know how. Uh, yeah. I mean, you think about like regular injuries and then you add a virus that's yeah. taking complete teams out. A hundred, a hundred, 150 guys flying around to cities, danger zones, not danger zones. Some of them are talking about having fans. Oh, okay. Yeah, no, it sounds insane. It really does. Yeah, I mean, I'd say good luck, but don't bring that shit back home <laughs> and now some final thoughts there's a lot of hope on the horizon i think women women of color people of color are having a great moment i have a lot of hope for the environment i think everyone should try to find a way to contribute um and be a part of this in any way they can to help move things along progressively and positively For me, I, I think what resonated with me is the, you know, how important it is to, to have silver linings and to, to cultivate those silver linings. And it's not always easy. And it's, you know, sometimes it's easy to just feel like, you know, there's no point to any of this and it's, you know, everything's going to hell and what difference can I make in any of it? And, you know, how will I, how can I do anything that's going to change the situation that is so lousy? And it's you know maybe in the long run you can't but it's important to have something that you're you're striving towards some goal that you're you're working towards something to look forward to um to keep you to keep you going and it's you know it's easy to fall get in that negative circle that that, that that downward spiral we've all seen people do that at jobs or in life or whatever when it's just you know everything's negative and you can't get out of that mindset that's a dangerous place to be. And, and you need to, you know, hope like you, like you talked about earlier, Monica, the old Obama poster. That's what you, that's what you need right now. We all have to have hope. We all have to have something that we're looking forward to. And whether it's something silly like Dune or whether it's, you know, something more <laughs> serious or, or whatever there, uh, whatever it is, God bless you and, and make it work for you. I think uh, what I take away is I go back to accountability and um, things, you know, I start talk about it. It sounds like kind of negative terms, um, but saying that you can no longer hide, but it's the truth coming out. And one of those truths is that we're all in this together. And it's unfortunate sometimes that, when these things first start, I noticed I observed a lot of people coming together, a lot of um, just kindness and um, generosity and people coming together 
just being kinder. And as time progresses, that kind of fades, you know, it's like, and that's unfortunate, um, but, but some of that's going to stick. Some of the changes that we've had are going to be profound. Um, I think about like some of the things about the environment and spending more time outside and more people are spending more time outside and they're going to appreciate that. And so hopefully they'll fight for that. Um, and that will be another reckoning, um, much like the racial reckoning we're going, uh, that's going on. So, um, you know, and I, 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 when bringing up this topic, silver linings, I, I, my initial thoughts were about togetherness and, and how much I see of that and how positive that is. <clears throat> but at the further, uh, and I examined it, you know, to apply it to uh, the, our podcast, it was, it, it, it boiled down to accountability and, and truth as, as I think Monica put it. And I think that is uh, the silver lining of this bad uh, cloud that's over us right now. So. We close each episode of the Highfalutin podcast with a poem that relates to our theme. So I actually first fell in love with this poem, Letters in the Family by Adrian Rich, when I was in college, actually, when I met both of you. Uh, it was in a performance of literature class. And what I really loved about it is it's in the form of three letters from women who are historically taking part um, in really historic moments. So, you know, as I read it, you'll hear like the times and the, you know, personalities that are coming through in these stories. And so it's all about like heroic, a story of heroism from a woman's perspective over time. So here are the pages of the book, which is kind of fun. The Letters in the Family, Adrian Rich, one, Catalonia, 1936. Dear parents, I'm the daughter you didn't bless when you left, an unmarried woman wearing a khaki knapsack with a poor mark in Spanish. I'm writing now from a plaster dusted desk in a town pocked street by street with hand grenades, some of them dear ones thrown by me. This is a school, the children are at war. You don't need honors in schoolroom Spanish here to be of use and my right arms as strong as anyone's. I sometimes think all languages are spoken here, even mine, which you got zero in. Don't worry, don't try to write. I'm happy if you could know it, Rochelle. Two, Yugoslavia, 1944. Dear Shanna, where are you now? I'm sending this pocket to pocket that we both know pockets we'd hate to lie in. They showed me that poem you gave Ruben about the match. Shanna, you know, I never was for martyrdom. I thought we'd try our best ragtag mission that we were, then clear out if the signals look too bad. Something in you drive things ahead for me, but if I can, I mean to stay alive. We're none of, none of us giants, you know, just small, frail, inexperienced romantic people, but there are things we learn. You know the sudden suck of empty space between the jump and the report pole? I hate it, I hate it so. I've hated you for dropping ecstatically in free fall in the training, your look dragged on the ground of knowing precisely why you were there. My mother's still in Palestine, and yours, still there in Hungary. Well, there we are. When this is over, I'm your earthbound friend to the end. Still yours, Esther. Three, Southern Africa, 1986. Dear children, we've been walking nights a long time over rough terrain, sometimes through marshes. Days we hide under what bushes we can find, our stars steer us. I write on my knee by a river with a weary hand, and the weariness will come through this letter that should tell you nothing but love. I can't say where we are, what weeds are in bloom, what birds cry at dawn, the less you know, the safer. 
but not to know how you are going on. Patil's earache, Emma's lessons, those telltale eyes and tongues so quick. Are you remembering to be brave and wise and strong? At the end of this hard road, we'll sit all together at one meal and I'll tell you everything. The names of our comrades, how the letters were routed to you, why I left. And I'll stop and say, now you've grown so big, how was it for you those times? Look, I know you in detail, every inch of each sweet body. Haven't I washed and dried you a thousand times? And we'll eat and tell our stories together. That is my reason, Ma. Thank you for listening to the Highfalutin Podcast. Please make sure to check our website, highfalutinmedia.com, for more episodes and related content.